Welcome to the Unplugged Podcast with Devil Zarco, episode 23. Hello, and welcome to the Unplugged Podcast, where we unplug from status quo and shift the paradigm from head to heart by co-creating a more passionate, compassionate, loving, and interconnected world. And if this is your first time listening, or not, this is the place where you will hear inspiring interviews with athletes, activists, authors, artists, yogis, and everyday paradigm busters as we journey together into the infinite depths of the human heart to remember through the power of story who we all are at the core of our beings. And my name is Debo Zarco, and I'm your status quo crushing host, welcoming you to your weekly dose of authentic expression and open-hearted inspiration. And I just want to say, as I record this week's episode, spring is awake and in its full glory here on the Pacific Northwest Coast. And it's gorgeous. The hummingbirds are, (laughs) they're out dive bombing me as I hang laundry outside. Likely there's a nest nearby, so I'm just going to have to be a little more mindful about those little guys. And, uh, you know, they're, they're on their way to their freshly filled feeder in our front yard. So I don't know why they're bombing me en route, you know, because, you know, I'm the, I'm the one that keeps them fed. Anyway, that's their prerogative, I suppose. Uh, anyway, the cherry blossoms, daffodils, and there's so many other beautiful spring flowers out there, and they've just exploded with the the magnificent colors of new life. And the sky, you know, I'm looking out right now out of my window, and it's just this beautiful clear blue with the sun blazing. And, you know, for it's blazing for longer days where gardening and yard work are just a pure joy. If you can't tell, I love spring. It's my favorite time of year. You know, new life, it's so exciting. And you know, even though I live in coastal British Columbia where mild winters are the norm, the longer days are still very much welcome. And this week, I also changed the trainer tire on my road bike so that it's ready for action on the very challenging hilly roads out this way. You know, I just noticed that flat terrain just doesn't exist out here. And this is going to be my first time road riding out here. So I have a feeling I'm going to have gargantuan thighs by midsummer. And I'm also really excited about the possibility of swimming in the ocean this summer too. Um, I suspect I'm probably going to still need my wetsuits because it is the North Pacific. So I'm sure that even in the summer, it's going to be chilly, even in the Seashell Inlet, which is... um, A little bit warmer than the open ocean, but anyway, we'll see. I'm excited because I love open water swimming and ocean swimming. Yes, that's so exciting. (laughs) So uh, yeah, summer is exciting for me too. I love this time of year. Just love this time of year. And I hope that everybody listening uh, back in, you know, Eastern North America is optimistic that spring is on its way. So I'm not gloating over here. I'm just excited. And I know that it's going to be exciting for you guys too soon, despite the ongoing endless winter that seems to keep on keeping on out there. 
Well, enough of that. We're going to get into this week's podcast. And this week, I speak with an amazing woman who I actually met around this time of year back in 2009 when we both attended a historic rally in Ottawa where Canadian Senator Matt Carb spoke out publicly against Canada's annual seal slaughter. And he was one of the first politicians to publicly speak out against this ongoing blight against not only the entire country of Canada, but more so against the hundreds of thousands of innocent victims it claims every year. And yes, if you're not aware, it is still going on to this day, believe it or not. And as a matter of fact, the lunacy controlling what is commonly known as the Department of Fisheries and Oceans, sounds rather pleasant, doesn't it? Department of Fisheries and Oceans. As if they may possibly care. Don't be fooled. Anyway, I digress. This Department of Oceanic Destruction has set an outrageous quota of 400,000 animals who can legally be slaughtered in 2014 alone. 400,000 animals. And the slaughter lasts, I can't really remember, I think it's a month, maybe two months, but that's a lot of animals that can be murdered in a very short period of time. Now, before I dive fully into today's podcast guest introduction, I'm going to speak to you a little bit more about Canada's annual seal slaughter because it's at this time every year that the tensions begin to broil once again. So even though it may be gorgeous out here on the West Coast, on the East Coast, tensions are beginning to build as they do every year at this time. Now, the seal slaughter is a really strange beast. It brings up a lot of heated emotions on both sides of the equation. For those who support it and do the killing, which, by the way, are an extremely small subset of Eastern Canadians and politicians. And these these people are trapped in a debilitating form of separate ego consciousness where the only thing that matters is that they're right. And sadly, with this mindset... Hundreds of thousands of innocent victims perish in brutally primitive ways for, you know, for nothing more than a stubborn belief system based on, and I say this with air quotes around it, tradition. And, you know, on the other side of the equation, well, you know, the rest of the world, people who know in their hearts that there's absolutely no excuse on the planet that can justify this archaic brutality. And, you know, when I think about it, I actually feel... I, I feel this extreme disbelief and there's that there's any support at all whatsoever in this day and age for this, this lunacy, especially in this era of higher consciousness. And, you know, the only comparable mindset that I can immediately think of is the annual dolphin bloodbath in Taji. I'm not sure if I'm saying that right. Taji? Taji, Japan, where a handful of Japanese men cruelly slaughter thousands of dolphins against widespread international opposition. And you know, a lesser example with the same international effect is the recent ongoing slaughter of healthy animals at the Copenhagen Zoo. And the, um, you know, as I'm talking about this, the only other thing that immediately comes to mind is the aggressive push for genetically modified organisms in our food supply, despite, again, you know, widespread international opposition. 
So all four of these examples show how a tiny fraction of arrogant, disconnected humanity has a dramatic effect on the entire world. All because they must be right at all costs. And these are also, you know, really powerful examples of our interconnectedness and show how a handful of people and their choices affect citizens around the globe. So now back to the seal slaughter. Just to give you some perspective, the European Union banned the importation of all seal products in 2009, and the Canadian government has been fighting it ever since. And you know, it's not cheap to fight these things. They're spending millions of tax dollars on something that only a handful of people want. Now, is that not insane? And last year's kill quota, like this year, was also 400,000 animals. But 91,000 animals were slaughtered. Or, as they prefer to call it, 91,000 were landed. Landed. Now, doesn't that strike you as odd how they distort the language so dramatically? What the heck does landed mean when these animals are, you know, like murdered and skinned, you know, most of them alive too. Landed? Really? You know, methinks there's some deep subconscious guilt that refuses to be addressed there. And you know what? There's no markets. It's really a government buyout that keeps these people going with this tradition of theirs. And in 2001, the Department of Foreign Affairs sent out a memo suggesting that they, air quotes again, play the Nunavut Inuit card as leverage to open the market for seal products. So in other words, the government is playing the sensitive native Canadian card in a pathetic attempt to forego defeat. Now, personally, I feel that this is an immense insult to the Aboriginal community who have already been treated so wrongly by Western culture. And here's something interesting. A letter from, now, okay, bear with me as I try and pronounce his name. Arnituk M. Tarkirk. Okay, I am definitely not Inuit, but this is an Inuit man from, oh boy, here we go again, Kuchuak, Quebec. So let's just say way, way, way up north in Canada, okay? So this is what he writes. We've been hearing all about the European uh, vote to ban the importation of seal products from the so-called seal hunt. Now, this was prior to the actual ban itself, okay? That's my little aside. Back to the letter. I am an Inuk, and I would like to say that I, uh, what I think about this. Peter Itunur, Northwest Territory MP, has been saying that this vote will put a lot of Inuit on welfare. This is stupid. The money from the hunt goes to Norway, mostly, and has nothing to do with the Inuit. We are skillful hunters who hunt adult animals for food. This is not the same as bashing a pup which can't move over the head. In fact, if the seal hunt stopped, we would benefit the most. There would be 180,000 more seals left for us to eat when they are a few years older. And also, people would not have such an aversion to sealskin products as they have after seeing the way they kill the pups. So craft work make with adult seals would be more popular. The Hudson Bay Company and the government are just using the Inuit to further their own purposes. I'm surprised uh, that Peter Ituner, whom I know, could allow himself to be used like that. 
I know people who are against the seal hunt, and they are not against the Inuit. I am Inuk, and I oppose the seal hunt. So there you go. Now, I could go on and on about the corruption of this annual bloodbath, and I could also go on and on with facts, figures, and logic against the seal slaughter, but you know, that only just keeps us trapped within the limited confines of the intellect. Yeah, that doesn't take us very far. It's just a battle of wills then. And you know, it's the intellect that can justify just about anything, no matter how bloody and violent it is. Really, I mean, all we need to do is just turn back in history and, you know, have a little peek at the Holocaust or today's justification for GMOs and factory farming to very clearly see the absolute insanity that logic can produce. I mean, really, are wars created out of the kindness in people's hearts? Uh, no. So no more facts. The bottom line for all of us is that we know in our hearts which is the highest mind of all, that this is wrong. And I suspect that, you know, even the supportive politicians and the handful of those doing the killing who right now can't see beyond the prison walls of their own arrogance know on a deep subconscious level that it's wrong. And, you know, the sci- the, it's, it's the same old tired excuses being recycled year after year after year. And if you listen to the story, it never changes. You know, like perhaps there was a hint of validity 50 years ago, but now those excuses are so worn out that, you know, they just don't work in today's world of precipitous climate change, poisoned and overfished oceans. And above all else, what we talk about regularly, well, every week on this show, is a higher level of conscious awareness and growing compassion. As I said before, there's just no markets. But the ego war of separation continues under its false guise of tradition, cod-eating seals, etc., etc., etc. Blah, 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 blah. Let's just call it that, okay? That's what the excuses are. Blah, blah, blah. Now, the reality is that... (sighs) The ego pride of all involved will not allow them to admit defeat and move into the new era of a more enlightened compassion for all life. But you know, at this rate, they're going to soon be squeezed out. If you think about it, they're more like, you know, dinosaurs desperately clinging to the last breaths of an old way. Sadly, it's at the expense of innocent beings that have, have, you know, like no defense. But, you know, as I said, it's a tired old story of an ancient paradigm trapped in the realm of separation. And as we evolve towards unity consciousness, this story just no longer fits into the new model, as is shown with the closing of markets around the world. It amazes me, though, how much damage can be done with the attachment that comes from needing to be right under all circumstances. It's the monster within that must be right at all costs. And, you know, it's the monster within that can excuse, rationalize, and reason any action or behavior. And that, you know, that applies to our personal lives as well as 
in this case, on a global scale when international opposition far outweighs all else. And really, when you think about it, it's the monster within that's insane. So, you know, I was thinking about this and the other day during a swim workout, I came up with a metaphor of a sliding scale that shows how within our humanity, we all have the capacity for monster behavior. That's what I'm going to call it for now. Okay. So monster behavior as well as limitless love. So I'll call that divine love. So imagine a horizontal line with monster on the extreme left and divine love on the far right. Now, most of us fluctuate depending on what we choose to feed, monster or love. And you know, even when we're living our lives more on the love side, yeah, we get a little bit of monster emerging every now and then. The thing about living on the love side though, is that we have the consciousness to not feed the monster. You know, we just like put it back in its cage. Or, you know, squish it all together. So let's go back to my little metaphor here, okay? So the midline of this horizontal line represents status quo. So these are, you know, people who just ho-hum their way through life doing as they're told with little to no original thought. Sometimes with these people, the needle moves a little bit to the right But more often than not, it just kind of hovers around the midpoint and veers off to the left when, you know, when they feed the conformity, judgment, fear, indifference, and the sense of separate self that, you know, that's typical of status quo. Now we move the line over to the right when we live from integrity, truth, authentic expression, service, purpose, compassion, and the essence of our core being. So everything that we talk about every single week on this show. And we continue to move the needle to the right as we feed unconditional love and unity. Now, all that said, does that mean that seal killers, dolphin killers, GMO pushers, and politicians are all monsters? I mean, highly unlikely. Even politicians can be kind, right? You know, sometimes, I think. (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) overall though, because... Their level of unified consciousness is low. So, I mean, all these subsets that I've just spoken about, they tend to live more to the left of the midline, uh, midpoint of that line, okay? I'm sure that, you know, they'll reach status quo every now and then, and but, you know, for the most part, they're over to the left. And anyone or any group that must be right at all costs is insane, at least in my books. And one of the most powerful acronyms that I I heard a few years back, and you probably heard me say this before, is the acronym for war, which stands for we are right. And we all know the insanity of war. Each side thinks they're right and won't budge. And voila, violence and bloodshed. And, you know, the seal slaughter is a war on wildlife. It's also a war on nature and global citizens who oppose it. And this war is being waged by a tiny fraction of Eastern Canadian men with the support of an insane government who will also have nothing to do with admitting their wrongdoings. 
There's actually so many archaic excuses used to justify the ongoing slaughter. But the one that baffles me the most is the excuse that they barf out annually saying that the killing of hundreds of thousands of seals is no different than the mechanized slaughter of billions of farm animals each year. Like really, as if two wrongs make their actions right. As I said before, the human mind, when in monster mode, you know, is also in separation mode, is insane. So combine an archaic tradition that is being stubbornly clung to with the financial backing of a powerful and obstinate government, and you have a bloody recipe for the ongoing perpetuation of a dinosaur that should have gone extinct long ago. And both parties have dug their heels in as they refuse any movement towards the light of unity consciousness. And you know, when we think about it, anytime life is traded as a commodity, the unconscious primitive mind of separation prevails. And when anyone moves through life to the left of midway on my metaphoric line, as well as midway itself, it's so much easier to create and to buy into the various stories of separation. So now what can we do about this, you know, annual ice massacre that just won't quit? Well, uh, you know, it's, it's a complex problem. But what we can continue to do is to support the organizations who are persistently squeezing them out of the old paradigm. You can also continue to support the closing of markets that force no option but the extinction of this prehistoric way. And we can also collectively hope that all those involved wake up to the compassion that is engulfing the world. You know, I mean, miracles do happen and anyone can change. That I know for a fact. So, yeah, we need a bunch of people to wake up. So, you know, like if anyone else out there listening has any ideas or solutions they'd like to share, please send me an email at devilsarco.com and I'll be sure to share your insight on the next podcast. You know, even just your perspective. Let's start a discussion about this because, you know, personally, this is something that really bugs me. I mean, I'd have to say that probably 90% of Canadians are disgusted by this and I'm one of them and it's been something that's been really bugging me all these years. Now, um, okay, let's get on to today's podcast. So I started this preamble because it was a seal hunt rally back in 2009 where today's guest and I met. And Kimberly Carroll was the host MC of a well-organized traveling rally event created by the International Fund for Animal Welfare, which has been um, a real champion in the in the fight, I don't like that word, but in the opposition of the, of the annual Canadian seal slaughter. And it was Kimberly's upbeat, passionate, funny, and compassionate energy that really made me take notice. So let's just say that she's not your typical activist. This is a woman with a lot of love in her heart and joy too. Ooh, she oozes joy. So Kimberly is a body, mind, spirit coach. She's a life architect, television personality, and passionate world citizen. Oh yes, she certainly is that. 
And I'm just going to pick out um, a little bit of what she writes on her website that really summarizes the essence of who she is. So she writes, my own personal growth journey has been a wild and winding one. I think I was born asking questions about the meaning of life, but it wasn't until hitting a wake-up wall in my 20s that my body-mind-spirit adventure kicked into high gear. I was a young, driven woman living a fast-paced, mildly glamorous showbiz life until I realized with great alarm one day that I wasn't actually here for this fabulous life. I'd gotten so caught up in the chase and proving my worth, I'd lost the connection to the moment, to others, and to myself. Basically, I'd become an overachieving zombie. The thought of getting to the end of my life and realizing I'd miss being present for most of it managed to scare the hell out of me. So I embarked on a serious mission to wake up. Over the next few years, this quest took me from India to Manitoba to Australia. Through ashrams and pubs, powerful teachers and bad stumbles, eye-opening philosophies and overly earned BS, annoying blocks and incredible life-changing techniques. I continually took what I learned and shaped it so that it could resonate with the reality of who I was and where I was coming from. And it didn't happen overnight, but I changed on a deep level and so did my life. I found my true power and started to grow into a person I love. I became more engaged in the world around me and I eventually became a guide for others wanting to live bolder, more conscious lives. Every day I continue to learn and grow as I work to be a fierce supporter of soul awakenings, animals, laughter, the planet, social justice, creativity, human potential, and love. There you have it. Now, I had to read that because I couldn't have said it better myself. Kimberly and I are soul sisters, and I'm honored and grateful to present the divine redhead herself, Kimberly Carroll, for your listening pleasure today. I want to thank you, Kimberly, because uh, I know how busy you are, Toronto lady, so I'm really appreciative <laughs> that <laughs> I'm finally able to pin you down and, and, Sorry, and it's chat been, with you. It's been so long. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're a hard one to pin down, but we're here now and that's all that matters. Exactly, exactly. And... Uh, and we've known each other now for a few years, and I remember the first time we met was uh, when when you came to Ottawa, when I was still living there back in two thousand and nine, and you were uh, the MC of an anti seal hunt rally, mm-hmm. and um, normally those things can be they can have kind of like a, a, a negative energy, angry, energy. angry, <laughs> a- negative energy. So I've you know I've always been a little bit cautious going to those things because. I don't believe that that energy actually uh, influences change. But when you were there, you brought so much um, joy and joie de vivre and passion and compassion. And your fire was just so, um, you just exuded fire. And I was immediately drawn to that. And you had like such a beautiful life force that you just... um, so fearlessly showed it to the world and it was just I I, anyways when I first met you I was like wow who is this person she's amazing and every time I've seen you since it's like that fire that I saw back in 2009 just burns brighter and 
not only are you a passionate crusader for animals, you also have absolutely zero boundaries with the love that you extend towards all living beings with your... Oh, I wouldn't say that, my dear. <laughs> but, but... <laughs> At least every time I've seen you. <laughs> I see you on the great days. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you can see me with my dartboard with, you know, certain people's faces on them, you know. <laughs> We're all human, right? That's that's right. <laughs> but you know, you've got, you've, you just, you come across as somebody who's really passionate and somebody who is aware of, you know, the shadow side as well as the light. Mm-hmm. Um, but most, most importantly though, despite the fact that you know about the realities in the world, you know, you always come from a place of joy and love. And um, I believe that's what you call soulful activism. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's funny, uh, uh, I remember that uh, rally really well, Deb, as well. Um, and I remember consciously thinking about going into that. Um, I, I, I very much, whatever I do in activism, I, I really want it to be from a place of love and connection and empowerment. And um, I, I remember uh, reading about Mother Teresa saying she was invited to an uh, anti-war rally and she said, you know what, when you have a pro-peace rally, I'll come. Mm. <laughs> and I was drawn, you know, one of my, uh, the things I'm most passionate about being an activist for, of course, is animal rights. Um, and I didn't become an activist for animal rights because I hate meat eaters or people who exploit animals. I did it because I love animals and, and I love, um, you know, life and I honor life and respect life. And so I really try to let that inform my activism um, so that it, it comes from a place of, like I said, inclusion, connectedness, ultimately trying to, you know, bring everybody into this uh, circle of compassion and not just a choice few. Um, so yeah, so, so I'm, I'm really glad you saw that. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> it's they- hard not to, it's hard not to, you wear it and it's just, it's, it's not something that, um, is inauthentic either. It's so real. So obviously it's, it's who you are at your core. That essence of who you are was absolutely shining through. And the fact that you added consciousness to that made it shine even brighter. Mm. Well, you know, and I and I have to say, Deb, that uh, obviously um, I, I feel good about a lot of the work I've done in my life on myself and, uh, you know, how I've evolved as a person. Um, I definitely, uh, it's a journey every day. I, I, I have, I, I, I know that I have a, a natural propensity for being petty and self-centered and um, I know that and, and um, I also know I have a propensity for, for beautiful compassion and love love and um, and power and so really every day it's 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 a matter of, of feeding the latter you know and and recognizing um, you know the shadow the darker aspects of myself and and not denying them but recognizing them working with them working through them and then really working to feed uh, you know the love feed the uh, you know the the evolution kind of thing hmm and I'm just, uh, I'm curious because you spoke about the journey and everybody has their own journey. And I'm just wondering, um, it, you know, what were the highlights of your own personal journey that brought you to where you are right now to being this, as you call yourself a passionate world citizen, which I love, I think it's so beautiful and it really, really, uh, it's such an accurate description for you. Well, 
again, uh, not that Mother Teresa is a big um, uh, idol of mine. She's just come into my head twice now in the last five minutes. But, um, but she also said, um, I began doing the work I, the good work I did because I recognized at one point in myself there was a little Hitler, the potential for a little Hitler. Uh, and I realized, you know, early on in my life that again, that I have, uh, I have the potential to be very destructive in this world or to be very constructive in this world. Um, I think I started off, you know, this life, uh, as a very sensitive being, um, but also a very scared being who uh, worked very hard to build an ego to protect myself uh, against the world. And, um, and I've worked, you know, since sort of my early adulthood, I've worked I've started working quite hard to dismantle that ego. <laughs> so I spent the first half of my life working, you know, building that ego. And now I've worked to try to dismantle it. <laughs> um, yeah. And, and that's led to, you know, me, you know, inspiring people, working to inspire people to undergo their own personal revolutions. And then not just, to, you know, uh, undergo their own personal revolutions, but then to take that energy out into the world and create... Um, what I like to call a love-illusion, <laughs> you know, to help end, end some suffering in this world. Um, so I think for me, um, I guess, oh, so hard when you say the moments, like all the moments. Um, I would say, like I said, I, I, I was working very hard, um, you know, growing up. Uh, I was a, a big performer. Uh, I was very into music. I um, I think there was a, a part of me that really needed to be seen and heard and validated. And I did everything I could to do that. And I was quite good at, at getting seen <laughs> and heard at a certain point. Um, and uh, realized uh, at, at a certain point that that was actually running my life. The need to uh, to be seen and heard was was running my life, it was becoming compulsive, and it was resulting in not having a very happy life. It looked good from the outside, but not from, from the inside. It was me constantly doing a tap dance to prove that I was worth being in this world. And um, so I think, you know, my journey, my journey really, I think, started to shift when I uh, started practicing Buddhism. Uh, I had grown up always wondering, you know, I remember always wondering why I was here, what, you know, the meanings of things were, what, what is this thing called infinity? I remember at, at age six, you know, lying in bed and in twin beds at my grandma's place and talking to my cousin and, and, you know, he was like, I'm really scared of my parents dying. And I'm like, I'm not so scared of death, but infinity really concerns me. <laughs> I was not a kid other kids wanted to play with. Okay, let's just, let's just put it down there right there, <laughs> right now. Um, and so there was, I, I guess I always had that, that, that seed planted, that, that curiosity about purpose and life and, um, you know, and life and beyond life. And um, I, it was so strong that even though I wasn't really raised with religion, uh, I guess vaguely Christianity in my extended family, but I, w I didn't go to church or anything. But at, I think age 11, I decided it was time to start going to church. <laughs> uh, and being growing up in a, a small prairie town or, you know, a small prairie city um, of Brandon, Manitoba, there was no choice but Christianity. And so 
uh, I started going to church. And for me, uh, it was uh, an outlet for my my spirituality, my curiosity, my celebration of life. And it actually was fairly, um, it was fairly, it was a good experience for me. I can't say, you know, as, as a Catholic that I, you know, it wounded me too much. I went in as a, a already very informed kid that decided what she believed in and didn't believe in. <laughs> and, and so I had a, quite a positive experience um, with Catholicism or with Christianity. Uh, but, but as I grew older and started taking philosophy and, uh, you know, started actually expanding my view of, of the world, um, I realized that it just did not suit who I was anymore. It did not suit my belief system. And I was forced, you know, very sadly to leave the church because it just, it just in no way really reflected who I was anymore. Uh, and for a few years I really struggled because I did not have that natural outlet anymore. I did not have an outlet that I knew of, you know, to be able to express uh, express these things though. and I you know I'll loosely call it spirituality and when I say spirituality I just mean the exploration for me I mean the exploration of self the exploration of energy the exp exploration of meaning um, and uh, and so it wasn't until uh, there was something I guess it was in university I was taking um, a literature course a Canadian literature course and I read Leonard Poems uh, Leonard Cohen's poem, You Have the Lovers. I don't know if you've ever read that. No, haven't. You have to read it, Deb. <laughs> um, and it's just a poem and that really, really hit me on, in the gut, really resonated with me. And my very kindly professor at the time said, you know, Kimberly, um, you know, Leonard Cohen is a Buddhist. And actually this poem is, is to me, is, is really the essence of Buddhism. And I went, bing, okay, you know, prairie girl, you know, grew up, no, what, what is this Buddhism you talk of? I've heard of it, but I, you know, oh. And, and so that sort of started my, my journey there. And, um, you know, that led me into, uh, you know, joining a group and learning how to meditate, um, you know, learning uh, the fundamentals of Buddhism. Um, you know, I, I no longer call myself a Buddhist because I don't really call myself anything now. But I, I have to say to this day that Buddhism has been, has made a huge effect on my life because um, it. I guess the number one thing is it, it taught me non-dualism and it taught me the idea that um, that we're all of the same energy. We're all of the same. Whatever we're in, we're in it together. Um, there is no beginning, there is no end, there is no limit, you know, um, and I have learned that has informed so much of what I've done in my life now. Um, I don't see other people generally now as competition. I don't see so much of the separation and, and that goes not just with people, but now for animals and nature. Um, I feel like a tree, uh, you know, has as, you know, as much mystery and beauty in life as, as I do. Um, and so there's, you know, that I think caused a seismic shift in, in, um, in my journey. Um, and then I guess, you know, various things, um, you know, that just started my journey into exploring different cultures and uh, religions and philosophies, you know, everything from, uh, you know, shamanism to, you know, uh, dabbling in, in some new age stuff and, um, you know, taking what, what, what resonated with me and letting go of what didn't. And meanwhile, 
concurrent with this this sort of soulful journey was my journey of um, becoming an animal activist, uh, which is a whole <laughs> whole nother ball game. But the two started to interweave finally um, a few years ago, and and I think that's when my activism became you know much more empowered. Uh, and and powerful and um, and really sort of started to uh, shape me as a whole being and 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 not just sort of as a spiritual being sort of going and and working and trying to you know make herself happy uh, or a, a sort of desperate you know angry activist you know desperately trying to change the world you know I brought these two together and it's really made a, a huge difference for my life and my activism and now I really uh, work to help others, um, you know, uh, create that for themselves. Uh, a huge part of my client base as a body, mind, spirit coach is actually activists. And I love working with activists because, well, uh, A, they tend to be very sensitive, kind beings who with just a slight, slight um, uh, change in framing can, uh, can take on the world. So I'm sorry, Deb, that was like a long drawn out thing. <laughs> Is there anything, did I answer the question at all? You did, you did a beautiful job, an absolutely beautiful job. And as I'm listening to you, I'm, I'm resonating so, um, so closely with what you're saying, because it sounds like you and I have had, uh, different <clears throat> yet very similar paths, you know, uh, coming to that point where, and I just love how you worded it. It's just so eloquent how you join the spirituality with your activism. And I find now, you know, because I was one of those angry activists, even back in 2009, when we first met, I was already starting to explore alternatives to activism, but I didn't know any other way because I still felt so much of that rage and, and separation inside of me, not from the animals, but from those who were harming them. However, since, you know, since I had my own shift when I lost my mother, there was a huge shift. It was like an awakening and I had to explore myself more. And I've now weaved in the spirituality with the activism and it does take on a completely, completely different flavor, completely. Because when we come from that place of love, people listen, people want to be a part of that because in, I think in our hearts, in all of our hearts, we all know that we are love. We don't just show love or express love. We actually are love. And, um, and so, so, so thank you for saying what you did about weaving those two together because I never actually thought about it that way for myself. Um, uh, and I realized that more and more people seem to be doing that too. They're exploring alternatives within themselves and then bringing that out into the world. And I think probably, you know, Deb, like there, to me there's, there's the two two places that people are that I, I really want to see, uh, you know, evolve. And that is, you know, um, spiritual, you know, again, in quotation, spiritual people who, um, you know, have done a lot of self-work, are, are really working on their their own evolution, um, are their own well-being, which I really respect. I think it's important. I think everybody should be doing that. Um, but, you know, they're, they're praying or visioning or meditating for a better world. But sometimes they got to get off their ass and actually do something about it. <laughs> 
you know, so that's, you know, that's, there, there we go. So, um, so when I, you know, I do something called the life reboot program, which takes people through a seven week, uh, intensive sort of mind, body, spirit journey, um, to kind of get rid of all the old blocks, uh, you know, figure out what it is that has true meaning for you in your life and, uh, to start, uh, creating the life your life according to that. And a big part of my program is once we have found sort of that place within us, that expansive, connected um, center, it's really then our job as light workers to take that out into the world, you know, um, to be able to, you know, start start bringing some of that to the suffering in the world. Once you take care of some of your own suffering, then let's apply that to the world at large. Then we have the other people that that interest me again are the activists, um, like you and I. We talked about these a uh, activists who you know are, are absolutely coming from a place of of, of wanting um, you know to end suffering um, and and um, often uh, activists are um, are very. Well, I'll get into that in a second. But uh, we, a lot of activists are um, spending so much uh, time being in their anger or their sorrow um, or their desperation that they burn out or are ultimately ineffective in their missions to create meaningful change in this world. Um, so uh, the, they, those, those people very much interest me, like I said, because um, with some small adjustments, uh, their entire energy around activism and, and the results of their activism can change. So, um, so which one do you want to talk about first, Deb? You choose. Okay. Well, let's talk about that because um, I'm not sure how many of your listeners are, are activists, but, you know, I imagine there's probably a fair, fair few. I think we've got a broad range, and, and those who aren't activists – we're just going to, I'm just going to keep on gently nudging him in that direction because you're right. <laughs> we have to get off our ass. We can meditate on a mountain for only so long, but if the mountain starts crumbling around us, it's, it's not effective enough. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> um, yeah, well, so as far as, um, you know, I, I have a theory about uh, that a lot of activists become activists because um, they experienced a lot of powerlessness growing up, um, that they have a wound of powerlessness, uh, have always sort of, you know, had, had experiences as the underdog. Um, and so they know what it's like. They know what it's like to be voiceless, to be powerless. Um, and that's why, you know, uh, suffering, I think, really calls to, to activists. And I'm talking about myself, too. Um, I have a core wound of powerlessness. It's one that I'm, I, I'm always going to have to work on. Um, and um, so they're drawn, you know, we tend to be drawn to, to trying to end suffering because we can feel the suffering so deeply inside of us. Uh, we can't just uh, ignore it. And, and we're very sensitive to it. Um, however, this will create the kind of activism where we are so um, so on the edge of pain <laughs> doing our activism, where we're always, you know, sort of uh, working from a place of, of deep sorrow or of anger um, or even hatred. Um, and I learned myself at a certain point that this just is not not only is this not an effective uh, effective to the cause that you're working on, but it, it will ultimately destroy you and your well-being. Um, 
and I know, you know, I just want to be clear, and I know you know, Deb, um, that what we're talking about, you know, the pain of the, this world and, and all the injustices and all the suffering that's going on, it is a weighty, weighty subject. It is it's so big and so overwhelming. Um, the Germans, God bless them, have a, 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 an actual word for the sadness of the world. A, a word that represents the sadness of the world. It's called Weltschmerz. Okay, mm. <laughs> those Germans. <laughs> Weltschmerz. It, it it means the sadness of the world, and um, I think it's very important that that we feel the sadness of the world. I think it's incredibly important that we do it in in ways that are um, that are structured and manageable, though. Um, that we don't just let the sadness of the world the Welchmerts uh, weigh us down into the ground each and every day. Um, so uh, I really am somebody who believes in not ignoring the pain of the world, the sadness of the world. A absolutely not. I believe in in recognizing it and uh, and and basically almost regulating regulating um, the times and and amounts of time that you allow yourself to go into the sadness of the world. So so for example, you know um, you know a couple times a week, I will allow myself to you know uh, meditate on on a, a really horrific video I've just seen or a, a story I've heard or, or or something I've witnessed, and I'll let myself really go into that pain. I'll really let myself feel that that sadness I'll let myself cry I'll let myself feel um, you know the sort of hopelessness of it all um, and then I use my tools to get up and uh, brush my hands off and get back to you know working away at a, at a little corner of my of the issue um, and so um, I, the other aspect of, of for me of soulful activism is um, is learning to uh, basically how to keep that light inside of you lit, how to keep it burning, and how to work from a center place um, in order to be most effective in activism. So, um, as you said, Deb, you have firsthand discovered, you know, what a difference it makes um, to the world. And and let me tell a little story about you know that may illustrate that. Um, when I, a few years ago, uh, I was getting very into activism, um, I, uh, you know, the billions of animals that die uh, every year for our appetites and our fashion and everything, it was just, it was, it was taking its toll on me and I felt so overwhelmed by it and I started going on um, sort of, it, it got in some, involved in some investigations, um, I was really getting involved in, in you know, some case, particular cases um, and I remember um, a, a friend of mine who is now a colleague in, in the organization that I'm one of the directors in, uh, Mercy for Animals Canada. Uh, Twyla Francois took me to um, a livestock auction, and um, and there was a uh, it, it was right before Ramadan, so there were a lot of baby goats that were being shipped out for slaughter, and I remember you know we were there just sort of. Um, uh, keeping an eye out, making sure that, you know, uh, all this sort of uh, base welfare requirements were being met, which are next to nothing. Um, and just to make them know that we are there. <laughs> and uh, and there was a, a a little baby goat with one eye that had, had had one of its eyes out, and it was in a pen all by, by itself. And all these 
baby goats had been were taken away freshly from their mothers and they were so scared and they were so little and so innocent and I you know my heart was wide open and all I wanted to do was save that one baby goat and they wouldn't let us have it. We, I mean, I was ready to. I was given, gonna give all the money I had in my my purse, my pocket. I was just trying to scrounge up money, and that's not what we were there for. It was not really proper etiquette. But uh, but I wanted that. Go I wanted to save one goat, and we we weren't, we weren't able to save that goat. They they just wouldn't let us have have her, and they they got her out of there as soon as we knew we were after her. Um, and I went home that day and I just went okay that's it I cannot you know no there's no more time for me there's no more time for friends or family or my pursuit of of you know joy and uh, of awareness it has I have to work 24 hours a day on animal rights I there I can no longer you know nothing I can do nothing else you know I'm just gonna get in the trenches and I'm gonna do you know I'm gonna stand on the corner with a sign whatever I have to do right and I remember thank goodness um, one of my best friends who was, um, uh, who pretty well introduced me to activism sat me down and he said, Kimberly, I know, I get it. I get what you're going through. But he said, you move mountains because of your energy, because of your joy, your, you know, radiance, your love. That's how you move mountains. And the deeper into this pit of despair you get, the less um, effective you will get. Because nobody will want to be you. You know, nobody mm -hmm. wants to be the crazy lady on the corner holding a sign. <laughs> they want, you know, people look at people that, that have a light within them. And they want to be that. And they'll pretty well do anything to emulate that. Even ask, what do you eat? And I say, I'm a vegan, so I eat compassionately. You know, so, um, and he said, that is your, that is your path. This, that is how you're going to inspire people. That's how you're going to get people, you know, to move people. That is where your, your sphere of influence is. And at that point, I was like, okay, well, as a strategy, I'll do it. <laughs> you know, I'm still not doing it for myself, but I was like, okay, if that's the strategy, then I'll do it. But that was the starting place for me. Um, you know, I, I, on the other hand, um, had somebody in my life that was very close to me um, that had, had the same feelings as me, had the same uh, feelings about, you know, how humans have destroyed the planet and, you know, what they are doing to other beings on this, this world. And he just let himself get deeper and deeper into that anger, into that despair. And he actually ended up, you know, ending his life. Um, and I think so often now, years later, you know, how through all the different uh, activism initiatives that I've been a part of and spearheaded, you know, I, I'd like to think I've saved millions upon millions of animals or helped spare millions upon millions of animals' lives. And I think how he could have done the same, you know? And so I, uh, you know, it, to me, it's, it's, it's a really important thing to be able to continue to cultivate the idea that if I keep on working from this place of love, uh, if I keep on chipping away, um, that I, I will change my little corner of the world. Oh, that's, it's so powerful. And, you know, just hearing your, your story again, I just resonate so deeply with it all myself because, 
there is just so much ugliness. And, you know, that's one thing that I, I don't shy away from on this podcast because I think it's really, really, actually, no, I don't, I don't think it is really, really important for people to know the reality of the situation in the world. But at the same, because that's, that's the only way that we can change it. Sticking our heads in the sand is not going to make a difference. But when we know, when we know the truth of it and when we, when we do allow ourselves to just dive into that darkness and just, just walk into that pain and feel it. And this is, I think this is the key is that we live in a, a, a culture that no longer feels, no longer allows itself to feel. Anytime we feel we're given a pill for antidepressant or for this or for that, just so that just to prevent ourselves from feeling. But when we really do allow ourselves to feel and we allow, and we acknowledge that lovingly. And when we remember that, we are feeling beings and we will feel if we allow ourselves to feel the darkness and then move into the light, we come, we come into life with a whole other perspective. We come into life with life, with that light that you talk about. Yeah. And I totally believe, you know, Deb, that, uh, you know, our trying to escape pain is the root of all ill in this world. Um, you know, it's, it's not the pain that happens. It's not the, you know, the catastrophes that happen in this world. It is our denial of, of, of feeling that, um, you know, we spend most of our life energy in this society, um, avoiding pain, trying to run from it, escape from it, eat our way out of it, you know, have sex out of it, drug, drug it out, whatever it is, you know, um, build our ego against it. And, uh, you know, instead we could be just taking a couple of minutes when that pain comes up, sitting with it, feeling it. And it's amazing how the pain lets you go. When you wade into the pain, the pain releases you. Exactly, exactly. And it brings me back to, you know, something I heard from Tony Robbins a while back when he talks about emotion. And emotion is energy in motion. And what happens is that we've just, we block that motion. And what, and then, you know, you talk about holding on to that pain and running away from that pain. Well, it doesn't go away though. That's the thing. It stays within us. And then what we see out in the world is just a projection of what we haven't dealt with inside. And so it's just this, it's this constant cycle that just keeps perpetuating itself until we have something that just kind of shakes us back into the core of our being and who we truly are. And we really are light. And I see that in everybody right now. I can see that. I didn't see that a few years ago. I had to be snapped awake with a, like a, a really ugly death in my life. But it was the best thing that happened to me at the same time because it reminded me of the life that I am. And it reminded me of the life that everybody else is as well. Mm-hmm. And... Um, you know, I, uh, just going back to this whole pain thing again, like I know that you work with a lot of people, um, with the, you know, with the body, mind, spirit coaching that you're doing, like, are you finding that, um, the tools that you're giving them the, uh, and, and helping them going within is actually making a difference? Are they coming out the other side, remembering who they are? You know, it's it's uh, it's such an uh, an awesome journey to watch. Um, I love you know, I mean, especially doing my intensive program because it's you know, in seven weeks you shift everything internally and everything externally starts to shift as well. And um, and and a huge key part of that is where's your pain? Let's go into it. You've spent your whole life 
trying to avoid it and I'm going to take you right damn well into it. And people, oh God, I mean, it's not, it's not the tagline of what I advertise because I never have anybody sign up for my program. <laughs> but, that's what, but that's really ultimately what we need to do. We need to go into the places that you most fear, you most pain, you, that you feel the most pain. I, I hold your hand while you do it. We have really nice big lan you know, light-filled lanterns when we go into those dark caverns. Um, but we go. We go because, um, you know, because shoving it down isn't getting rid of pain. You know, shoving down pain might keep you from having to experience that sort of really overwhelming in the moment pain. But what happens is when you shove the pain down, it just turns into this low grade uneasiness through your entire life. You know, most of us recognize that as an anxiety or stress. Um, it's just this this constant uneasiness that we can never quite let go, we can never quite relax, we can never quite connect to our joy. If we can't fully experience our pain in life, we cannot fully experience our joy in life. Okay, they're two sides of the same coin. You know, our, if we can't experience our dark, we can't experience our light. And, and so I'm all about that. I'm all about, okay, where's the pain? Where's the icky stuff? Where's the most gooey, gross, you know, r repulsive stuff within you? Uh, let's go there. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but I do it, we do it in a way that is bite-sized, you know, that, that is manageable. We do it with a sense of humor. That's the biggest thing. I mean, yeah, I, I, I think it's really important for us to explore our pain. I, but I think, you know, we always, as long as we bring with us the tools of curiosity, sense of humor and softness, then we will always be able to get to the other side. The only way past pain is through it. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, and it brings me to something that, you know, a lot of these listeners have heard me say over and over again, but it reminds me of that beautiful Gandhi quote, you must be the change that you wish to see in the world. And I always remember that, like whenever I'm about to dive into pain, I always remember you must be the change that you wish to see in the world. And I'm going to come out the other side, the change that I wish to see in the world. And the change that I wish to see in the world is not the pain that I'm feeling right now. I want to see joy. I want to see peace. I want to see compassion. So I must be that. But in order to be that, like you said, you have to go into the pain first, experience that, let it move, move through you, and then come out the other side cleaner <laughs> without the ick or whatever you call it. Yeah, but it's a revolutionary idea in this society because everything we're taught is just to avoid pain. Avoid pain, avoid pain, avoid pain. You can't avoid pain in this world. It's a pain, painful, painful world. You know, um, there's no denying it. There's no, there's, this isn't a world of just butterflies and, and rainbows. And you can new age your way through this world and say everything <laughs> happens for a reason. Whatever. It's a painful world. It's a painful existence. We, you know, we are beings who've been plopped onto this planet. We have no idea where we came from, where we're going. You know, uh, we have no idea if we actually have any purpose. We have no, we have no idea. Um, it's really, it can be a tragedy unless, unless you find a, a way to, to be able to embrace it and laugh at it and, and, and be in the mystery of it all. Yes, totally agreed. Totally agreed. Now, I, I'm curious to know, like, you, you know, your activism is tireless and, you know, with the work that you're doing vocationally, are you seeing over the years that there, like, is there a shift that's happening to people who are waking up to, um, more like a, uh, of a heart-based consciousness? Cause I don't know about you, like, 
despite all the ugly darkness that's around, I'm seeing more light. And I'd love to know if you're, what you're seeing, like what you're experiencing with, um, with everything that you're doing. You know, it, it's, it's hard for me to speak, um, you know, with, with a lot of uh, confidence on this because I, I'm surrounded by activists and I'm surrounded by people who are wanting to, uh, you know, grow their awareness and stretch in life. So I, I'm blessed to be surrounded by people who are having awakenings left, right and center. And, and it's a beautiful thing. So it's, it, it is, it's hard for me to step back. But I, I mean, I'm definitely seeing a trend in this society generally um, that people are looking for more. They're looking for a deeper sense of, of life. Um, they, uh, ha this generation in particular has, you know, uh, sort of, you know, already gotten the things that they were told that were going to make them happy. The, the marriage or the guy or girl, or, uh, the, the, the house and the, the job and everything. And they still have this deep aching, uh, emptiness within them. And there are a lot, there are masses of people that are now saying, you know, is that all there is? Is there something more? And so I'm seeing a, a real trend in our society towards um, trying to seek out and 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 live a, a more holistic life, um, you know, live beyond the materialism of our society, um, and and that also encompasses um, more conscious living, you know, figuring out how you're connected to other beings on this planet um, and your relationship with them. And so I think you know. As soon as people start uh, moving towards more of a heart, as you say, heart-based uh, living, it will only help to raise the consciousness of, of this planet. So, so I'm all for it. Um, uh, you know, again, whether you come at it from a place of I just want to be happier, um, and if you want to be happier, then you're going to have to dig in and you're going to have to do some serious work. And in that serious work, um, I think you're going to find that you are not alone and that you are intrinsically connected with everybody and everything, you know, in this entire universe. Uh, and as soon as you realize that, then your circle of compassion, <laughs> well, it sure does encompass a lot more than it did before. Mm -hmm. um, and and so yeah so those are the the two those two aspects are very very much interlinked is is sort of the 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 uh, evolution of self and uh, the the raising of of um, conscious living on this planet. Yes, absolutely agreed. Absolutely. Um, I want to uh, I want to go back to your fearlessness about uh, you know diving into into your own pain and. Um, you know, the way oh, I'm, oh, I'm a big chicken. No, I'm a big <laughs> chicken when it comes to diving into my pain. I still do it, but I'm a pretty big old <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah no, totally. I'd much rather sit down now with, uh, you know, some nice fair trade dark chocolates and <laughs> bat away my pain, but, <laughs> but I know what is good for me. So. <laughs> Okay, I have to be a little careful with my language, I guess, here. Okay, you, um, <laughs> maybe you're not fearless, but you know that you need to do it and you do it anyway. And that is, that's, that's a, you know, that's a big step. <laughs> like, that's a giant step forward for, for, you know, for your own personal growth compared to, especially compared to what's normal. And I say that in quotation marks in today's society. Um, so, you know, with all the personal work that you're doing, uh, 
you know, what, what would you like, what do you do that is just for you? Like that pampers you, that helps you reconnect to that place of like pure love and connection to all inside of you. And how do you recharge your batteries with, you know, with the work that you do yourself with your activism, as well as the work that you're doing with others? Because I'm sure that, you know, being with others and being surrounded by their pain, it's hard not to separate from that completely. So I'd love to, if you could share just how you recharge yourself. Um, well, I, I have, um, you know, I have a little tickle trunk of tools that I use that and I teach as well. Um, you know, the only reason I'm a good teacher and coach is because I've been so messed up in my life. I've had to figure out so many tools for myself. Um, and so, uh, I mean, one of the biggest things for me is a daily practice. Um, and it doesn't, it doesn't always end up being a daily practice, but to generally have a, a little practice that I go through every day, um, that helps to uh, clear out some of the pain, um, to connect with, with my essence and to really intentionally, you know, step into my day and my life. Um, and some of those, you know, it, it changes here and there, but some of the, the basics are, um, like I, I like to use, um, I, I, I do something I, I call cathartic running, and um, it's it's a way that I, I can multitask. I can uh, it's good for my my heart and health as well. But I was I was running, and I thought you know I wasn't very passionate about running, but um, but then I went you know what I can turn this into a bit of a a, a sort of spiritual practice, and um, and so what I do with my cathartic running is before I start my run, which is just my regular run. I check in to see if there is something inside of me that um, is feeling heavy or in pain um, or frenetic, and I really tune into what what is most you know prevalent. Um, so, say one day it's it's frustration. Um, I I load my get my iTunes my iPod is all like loaded with all sorts of different playlists. I have like a rage playlist. I have a sorrow playlist. I have you know like, I, have a, I have a playlist for every form of pain. That is and, awesome. And I put that playlist on and I run into the energy of whatever it is that that it, that I'm feeling in in my gut in my in my you know right in in my core. And uh, so, for example, I I run in the energy of frustration. I run. I like. I I feel it. I I like. I feel where my body is. You know. I I feel like I'm running deeper and deeper and deeper into it. And I really like. I get out of a place of thinking and I get into a pure place of feeling, a pure place of emotion. And it's remarkable. But in a few songs, I have run through it. The frustration dissipates. It's like I left it behind on the sidewalk. And at that point, when I feel like it, I've released it, I've ran through it, um, then I switch. I switch uh, to my, my, my other playlist. I switch to something that feels inspiring to me or expansive to me or fun, you know, and I end my run that way. So that's my cathartic running. Um, I really do, um, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm a big proponent of cathartic work. Um, I, I don't think it's enough for us to just change our mind and say, um, we're going to, uh, okay, today I'm going to feel better. I'm going to think positive thoughts. It's important, like, I, 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 I truly believe that our, our thoughts and our beliefs, um, you know, become emotions. And those emotions actually become physical, physiological changes in our body. 
And so if we want to release stuff, if we want to move beyond stuff, we have got to address it, not just on a mental level, but on a physical level. So I'm a big proponent of um, uh, using some physical, some sort of movement-based thing or vocal thing to be able to release um, that which does not serve you in order to uh, open up the space for, for what you do want to cultivate, what you want, do want to grow within yourself. Um, for example, you know, Deb, let's just try one right now, okay? Sure. Everybody listening, no, don't just listen. Do this with us, okay? I like to call this the toxic fling, okay? I want you to close your eyes right now, everybody to close their eyes, and I want you to just locate in your body where you might be feeling sort of the strongest painful sensation. And when I say painful, that might be anxiety, it might be fatigue, it might be uh, worry, it might be sadness, it might be uh, just uh, anger. Um, so I want you to just sort of find where in your body you're sort of, you've got the most sensation. It might be in the, you know, the crown of your head, it might be in the bottom of your stomach, it might be in your heart area, it might be in your diaphragm, it might be um, in your throat. Um, you know, so just notice where it is. And now what I'd like for you to do is I'd like for you to actually put your hands on that area, actually place your hands on that area. And I want you to notice and be curious about this pain, about this sensation. What is the quality of it? So notice, is it, is it tight, hard quality? Is it frenetic and electric? Is it stabbing? Is it numbing? Is it nauseous? Is it, um, you know, electric? Whatever it is, just notice it. And now this part, you know, might, may seem a little silly, but I hopefully nobody's watching you. But what I'd like for you to do is I'd actually like for you to take your hands and I'd like for you to imagine that you can grab hold of this sensation, okay? And I want you to do this with all earnestness, okay? I want you to imagine like it's like a black cord, this toxic gooey cord of, of sensation, okay? And I want you to grab it and I want you to pull it and it's, it's going to resist. It's going to want to stay and it's really hard and it's pulling on, holding on tight. But I want you to pull and I want you to pull and I want you to put every bit of energy into it. And I want you to pull and pull and pull and pull and pull and pull until you think you got it out and I want you to wind up as hard as you can and I want you to throw it as far as you can. Throw it! Throw it! And then I just want you to feel the sense of space left behind. Deb, how are you feeling? Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's just, it's a 15 second that you can do and it can shift you. It's not something you do once and oh, everything's solved. It's something like I'll do toxic fling three times a day. You know, I, I feel it come up and, I, and I, I feel it, I address it, I, you know, grab it, move it out of the way. That is so powerful. Thank you for sharing that. You're welcome. I You're love, I love what the term too, toxic fling. Mm, yeah, absolutely. And, and I mean, I'll do anything from, you know, uh, stomping it out or I'll, I'll write it. I'll do something called mind dump where I write down all the shit that's going on in my head and then I rip up the page and I 
throw it into the fire, whatever it is, you know? Um, so I find all sorts of little cathartic ways of kind of um, moving that stuff out because we, we, we don't have room for, for the stuff that we want to, to, to grow and cultivate love, power, connection until we get rid of some of the crap. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And we accumulate a lot of crap every day. So that's why it is important to continue continually use um, some cathartic tools to move that crap out. Yeah, and that's it's so powerful. And that again, you know, it comes back to this culture that we're living in where um, it's considered wrong, which I say again in quotation marks, to express the full depths of our feelings because anger and rage and and sorrow are all considered wrong but when we're honest with ourselves we are we you know we we came into this world we were birthed into this world to feel to mm -hmm. feel and it's so important to feel the full spectrum of emotions so that we can release and we can get to that place of joy like you said um, for me, I notice uh, like what I love to do is I'm a swimmer so whenever I'm feeling that um, I just go and I just hammer out some some you know, really fast laps in the pool. Um, another thing I love to do is dance as well. And whenever I'm feeling, you know, uh, I, d dancing for joy as well as dancing for that frustration, like there's nothing more cathartic than a frustrated dance. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So thank you for sharing that because that's really important. You can make any physical activity into a cathartic activity, just like you just showed. You know, it's it, all it has to do with is the intention that you put behind your physical activity. Mm -hmm. so, there's just, yeah, there's so much wisdom in the body that we've completely disconnected from again in this culture because, you know, we've come to either. We, we, we treat the body as something that's separate and, and that is, that, that could be a whole other discussion because, oh, you know, that's something that we've manifest out in the world and that's how we've been able to separate from all other living beings. But we separate it even from our own bodies and, um, you know, it's just, it, the body has just become this, this object, this moving object, this, this animated object that carries our heads around. But it's so mm -hmm. much more than that because there's, there is so much wisdom. And when we allow ourselves to feel, we recognize that I think everybody has their own, I, I've call, I call them physiological cue centers. So for me, usually whenever I feel any kind of, if I feel uh, tension in my chest. So for me, my physiological cue center for the most part is my heart center. If I feel tension, I know that there's something up. If I feel expansiveness, on the other hand, I know that like I am doing something that's like bang on right. Um, other people feel it in their gut. Some people feel it in their shoulders and their neck, you know, it's all over the place. But when we start paying attention to the signals in our body, we realize that, um, that there's just so much more to us and to our own healing. Our bodies are constantly trying to send us messages towards our well-being and we, you know, uh, and those messages when we ignore them get stronger and stronger and, and more and more severe. Um, and, uh, you know, so yeah, I, I think um, another huge shift for me in my own personal development was getting reconnected to my body. I was, I lived in my mind for the first 25 years of my life. Um, I, you know, just like you said, I was just a walking mind and, um, it wasn't until I, you know, learned to uh, reconnect to my body and I have all sorts of different techniques for doing that as well. Um, but, but really, you know, really learning that my body isn't something separate from me. My body is what allows me to experience this physical life. Um, and 
Uh, and so I, I've really looked to nature and to animals actually to bring me home to that. Um, you know, I, you asked me where I feel sort of most at home or recharged and that would be time with nature and animals. Um, you know, nature, nature doesn't second guess, <laughs> you know, nature doesn't take time out to analyze, you know, nature just is, you know, uh, a, a flower grows towards the sun. That's just the way, the way it is. Roots burrow into the ground. That's just the way it is. You know, animals, um, you know, they live, they're aware, they, you know, they, they have have, you know, obviously a lot of the same emotions as us, but they aren't quite, you know, as wrapped up in, in, um, they're, they're, they're very connected to their bodies and they're very connected to the earth from which they come. Uh, and so when I'm needing to uh, connect, you know, reconnect and to myself, um, I find it really powerful to reconnect to, uh, nature, reconnect to animals, you know, just in spending five minutes you know, really being with your, you know, if you have a, a, a animal companion, a dog or a cat, like really being with your cat, like watching them walk and, and you know, and feeling their purr and, and really imagining what it's like to be in their body and really like playing with them and being present with them. I mean, there's nothing that brings you back to your center and, and sort of the, tr the essence of who you are that to me than doing stuff like that. Oh, totally agreed. Yeah, I live a, with a, a house full of total, <laughs> total goofballs. And you've got, you've got sa furry sages everywhere. <laughs> sages, exactly. <Yeah. laughs> exactly. And they're just, they're, they're wonderful gifts for reminding me of, you know, just, just pure presence, pure presence. Yeah. And, you know, and also being blessed to live out in British Columbia, coastal British Columbia here right now, I'm surrounded by mountains giant trees and uh and the ocean now and i you know when you said connecting with nature you know it doesn't have to be the magnificence of coastal british columbia it can be like in a city park even you know because even when i was living in ottawa i was able to find those those beautiful spaces but yes nature is is one of the most forgiving and nurturing and loving healers of that i can even I can't even express the words. So, so again, thank you for bringing that up. And to me, you know, nature is also one of the most brutal, uh, you know, and uh, random killers there is too. Uh, you know, to me, it's all about just, it's about being, it's about being with this nature that we are all intrinsically a part of. Um, and, and just recognizing that, you know, to learn how to just be, that we don't have to do and think to deserve to be here. We just are. It's just, we are just part we are nature yes yes um i just want to just touch quickly on you mentioned that you have a number of tools to reconnect to the body and you shared one with us um you know with that with that visualization but i'm wondering if you could just kind of mention just kind of casually mention a few other ones that you have because i know that this is something that i feel particularly strongly about as well especially mm. with the work that i've done as uh as not just you know a, a life coach but also as a as a physical coach i've worked with so many people who just have no connection to their body like they use it as something to conquer Mm. Yeah, it's either something to loathe or something to conquer. And, you know, I, it's, it's, I, I know I have my own tools to connect people to their bodies, but I'd love to hear what you have to do or what you have to share. 
Well, um, yeah, so various, uh, okay, I'll give you a quick little tool that I like to call rob, rob or feed. So, um, you know, taking today and at every juncture that you're making a decision, asking yourself, does this rob or feed my body? Does this rob or feed me? And just see what your body's sort of reaction is to it. So, for example, a, a nap can be a wonderful feeding thing for your body or it could rob you. You you know, your body might go, oh God, you know, like if I have a nap then like I'll, I'll feel groggy or whatever, you know, like, but ask your body. Um, or, you know, I, I like a little slice of chocolate here, here and there. Um, so check in with your body. Should I have this chocolate? Maybe your body's like, okay, you know what? An indulgence would be good for you. And maybe your body is at this point where, no, you don't need the chocolate. <laughs> so check in. Um, so I, I do like that little exercise for starting to reconnect to the cues uh, to your body. Um, I also really love an exercise, um, uh, the exercise of talking to your body. So, you know, uh, basically taking a, uh, taking a 10 minutes or whatever, lying down, taking some deep breaths, getting, you know, really relaxed, and, and then going through some body parts. And actually, like, for example, um, you know, let's imagine starting with your feet. Um, actually breathing into your feet, like actually breathing into it and breathing sort of consciousness and life into your feet. Um, and then imagining your feet had its own, their own personality, you know, their own character, their own personality. And if the, you know, if your feet had its own personality right now, what would they have to say to you? So for example, let me see what my feet have to say to me right now. Okay. So my feet are, are kind of, yeah. <laughs> I just checked in with my feet. My feet are kind of like, um, they're, they're like little, little kids kind of trying to hide from the cold. <laughs> and they're, all, like, they're all huddled up right now. And they're, they're kind of like, they're just like, um, basically they're telling me to just, um, you know, do something to make them feel safe and warm and allow them to stretch out and expand. So, you know, today I might have to give myself a little foot massage and, and uh, you know, warm them up and 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 just allow them to really stretch and feel good. Um, but your feet may give you the message, you know, that um, they want to play and run more, you know, or dance. Or your feet might um, give you the message, like stop wearing those damn high heels and you know, and treat <laughs> me properly. Or or your feet might give you the message, you know, um, that I need to be touched. I need I need some love. I I need you not to be so hard on me. You know, something like that. So. It's amazing when you connect to your different parts what kind of message you will get so I find that to be a really a really neat exercise to do and you can go through you can connect with your heart you can connect with your 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 butt you can connect with your knees your eyes whatever whatever and and I, I myself and my clients always find that they get some incredible wisdom from that exercise. Oh, that is awesome. As you were talking about your feet, I didn't even, I wasn't paying conscious attention to them, but I noticed that my toes are all curled up and they're feeling a little bit chilly as well. So. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> they want to Go sit by the fire. Feet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Just a couple more questions. Um, like, I got a big one here for you. Just, oh, gosh. Uh, yeah, yeah, because, um, well, you know, I just love your essence. You are just such a beautiful soul. And I, you know, like I said, every single time I see you, you just ooze more light. And it's obvious that, you know, I know that you don't like going into the dark. You'd rather eat chocolate. But you've gone into the dark, and that's why there's more light, I think, showing every t single time I see you. 
But I'm wondering, like, what do you feel? What do you feel is the ultimate message that uh, that you feel called to provide to the world? Oh boy! Yeah, I know that's a biggie. <laughs> um, hmm. Just the first thing that comes up. To be. Ah. To be. You know, uh, I think that's probably the the biggest thing that I'm trying to learn in my life is is how to let go of of all the things that I feel I should do and should be and how to learn how to be. Um, and it's really hard and it'll be a lifelong journey for me. I think surrender is a lifelong journey for me. And when I say surrender, I, I, I just, I'm just mean surrender to, to this, this being, to this, this nature that we're a part of. Um, and it's a, it's a sim- those are simple, a simple two words to be, but it encompasses so much. <laughs> oh, it does. And it's so challenging. It's so challenging because we've, uh, we've become a culture of human doings. And, yeah. you know, it's, it, it is a, it's an ongoing, <laughs> you have to be very conscious to be very, very conscious. But I think, you know, underneath in the, in the subcategories of, of what I'm here to teach is, uh, and, and spread the word about is, um, is love. You know, to really try to to uh, live your uh, life out of a place of love and understanding and compassion, and that is where I feel your that people will find their power. Um, sense of humor is a big one for me. Uh, is, that no matter how bleak and dark things are, if you can bring a sense of humor to it, um, you know, it, it it will help you uh, navigate some some very dark, heavy waters. Um, and that, and just, yeah, like nothing is <laughs> just, just not to take fit everything so seriously. Um, uh, especially if you're working in, in something that is incredibly serious, uh, you need to find some, some, some lightness in it or you'll drown in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and I think, you know, the other thing is, is find, you know, find what your particular light is, find what. Um, what you do particularly well in the world, and and it doesn't have to be profession, but you know, take some bite, you know, do some bite-sized movements around that, you know, as, as often as you can. Um, you know, don't let yourself sleepwalk through this life. You know, wake up, wake up, and uh, and figure out how you want to leave this world, and then move, and then work backwards, and then figure out starting today what are the little steps that you need to take to get there. And just bite off one or two every day. And in the meantime, for those of you that are biting off too many, to make sure to create space and, and, and make sure you find your center because you cannot do this work effectively and powerfully unless you're, you're working from a, a place of, of connectedness um, and love. And that means connectedness to the self as well. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. If, if that's where it happens first, you've got to connect to yourself first. You're not going to be able to connect to anybody else. Yes, absolutely. So. Yeah. Okay. My signature question, last one. Okay. If you had a magic wand and could wave it over the planet, what kind of world would you create? Mm. Uh, I, I would create a, a, a world where people understood that that you are me and I am you not just with people but with animals with nature 
Uh, I think ultimately, once that happened, uh, you know, all the um, all the ill doings that happen, all the desensitization that happens, would 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 fade away. Um, I think we would have a place of of uh, you know that we are working together, of that we're uh, making a buck isn't the bottom line. Where where love and connection and inclusion is 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 the bottom line. Um, and you know, on a on a very basic level, I think you know to have uh, a world of of critical thinkers and critical heart centered feelers as well. So um, to be able to have a world of people that are you know that that have their uh, critical thinking and their and their compassion come together into one powerful force. Wow. Wow. Thank you. That <laughs> is beautiful. I hate what I just said. I... <laughs> you, you ask hard questions, Mrs. Arco. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I just really would love to see each and every uh, person listening to this podcast to, you know, be able to regularly go to the deepest, uh, most powerful well of who you are, you know, to anchor yourself there and from that place become a light warrior for this world. Oh, yes. Hallelujah. <laughs> and now I play my music out. La, 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 da, da, da. No. <laughs> oh, Kimberly, thank you so much for, for shining your light on today's interview and just, just for being the beautiful soul that you are. Thank you. Well, the same to you, Deb. You know what? You're just, I, I've seen so much growth in you over the years and uh, you're just such such a warm uh welcoming uh, gracious soul and uh, I'm so glad that, that you're, you're taking this out into the world in, in such a significant way holy moly <laughs> now that was an inspiring interview and I love how Kimberly just tells it like it is but with joy in her heart and a smile on her face and we spoke a lot this week about diving into the darkness or, you know, what they call the shadow self in order to be more effective and loving in the world. So on that topic, this week's inspired question to you is this, how do you deal with the darkness in your life so that you can live a life of inspired purpose? As always, another biggie. And as you can hear from the question, it presupposes that you do indeed deal with your shadow self in a mindful and loving way. And if you don't, there's no time like the present. Especially now that you have a few powerful tools for your toolkit, compliments of Kimberly Carroll. And if you want to get to know more about Kimberly and her, and her work, or if you want to work with her yourself, all of her information will be posted in the show notes on my website at debozarco.com. And she works in person with folks in the Toronto area. And she also has a seven-week online life reboot teleprogram where anyone can join her from anywhere in the globe. And with that, we've reached the end of yet another Unplugged podcast. May we continue to open our hearts on our evolutionary journey of awakening to the point where our heads can no longer make sense of it all. 
thank you, thank you, thank you so much for listening. And remember, live with passion, live with purpose, change the world.